Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center... Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The M1 Abrams is not just incredibly tough, it's also surprisingly mobile given its size and weight. Much of this could be attributed to its treads, continuous steel plates linked together with chainmail. The treads allow the M1 to traverse all sorts of terrain that normal tires would find impossible, such as extremely steep inclines and even crevices in the ground. This is to ensure that no target would be safe from its onslaught. The Abrams M1 tank, the best tank on Earth, and we're going to give some to Ukraine, it looks like. Uh, it, was a, it was an absolute no at the beginning of this war. Roughly a year ago. I mean, we were arguing over whether or not we would give them guns, handguns. Do you remember that at the beginning? Oh, yeah, it seems ridiculous now. Yeah, and uh, and then even a couple of weeks ago, it was, no, not Abrams tanks. That's not going to happen. Now it looks like it's going to happen. So many questions. Uh, Mike Lyons joins us. Mike is a military analyst, served with the United States military uh, in Europe and in other fields throughout his career, a respected commentator on various networks and publications. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. So can we start with something quite basic? I mean, even an idiot understands that an army with tanks is better off than an army without them. But what specific advantages in the field will we see the Ukrainians have, for instance, since they will soon be much better armed in a few months anyway? Well, first of all, they need about 400 of these tanks. And tanks provide a shock effect in the overall combined arms fight, which is the only way they're going to defeat Russia. What I mean by a combined arms fight is tanks, artillery, infantry, air defense platforms, drones, close air support, all of these things synchronized together. Think Blitzkrieg, World War II. Think Desert Storm. Think when successful units go on the offense. They all fight combined as a team. That's the only way that they're going to defeat Russia on this battlefield in Ukraine. It, 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 you know, so there's just one component of it. And some people are even arguing, which is why you didn't have to send them initially. They could have done this with Bradleys and Strikers. They didn't necessarily need the tank component. The tank component brings what's called a shock effect. Uh, you know, high mobility, high survivability for the crew. That's one component of the entire combined arms team. So, first of all, I'm confused as to when they would actually get these Abrams tanks, our tanks, because I heard 
I heard the projection of a year and a half from now from one analyst yesterday. How, how long do you think it'll be before they're actually rolling across Ukraine? Right, that's probably right, because wow. all, they, can't, they can't take the tanks that we currently have that we use, because we use a certain kind of panel on the sides of our tanks that's highly classified that we don't want other countries to use that provides more survivability for our crew. So we have an export version of this tank um, that has been sold to Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and some other countries. Um, I think Ukraine's got a few. Um, so lo- those tanks would be the ones that would go. We would literally buy them back from those countries and ship them there or somehow figure out some kind of arrangement for them to go there. Um, the Leopard 2s, which is what the Germans have agreed to, those are really a lesser quality tank. They provide volume of tank for uh, the Ukraine military. And there's, there's, they're all over Europe. There's 12 or 13 countries that have them. The Germans have now released permission for them to be transferred to Ukraine. And I think that the, the the Poles, who are taking the lead in this effort, have about 100 that they've gathered that they're going to send. So that's going to be an, an initial supply, really not enough, and, and there's going to be another more 100 more targets for the Russians to really take out in the field. Well, how quickly to, to the, the Leopard tanks get there? Are we talking weeks for those? Yeah, they could get there sooner. It's still months, though, because you've got to train crews. You know, it's not just a video game, right? You've got to put crews of three and four soldiers in them. You have to have the ammunition for them. You have to have fuel. They go on diesel. Some go on regular gasoline. Um, you know, like, for example, which is why the M1 is also much more difficult. You know, M1 tanks, you know, the, the supply chain is, is all U.S.-based. You know, the mechanics, the packs, the fuel, everything that goes with an M1 tank is, is a much more difficult supply chain. The supply chain for the Leopards is a little, little bit different, but it's still months. It's still months away, and the time is not on their side because if the Russians mobilize and go on the offensive within the next three months, which they have the capability to, uh, the tanks are just not going to get there on time. Mike, do you have any concern about the U.S.'s own stockpile of armaments? Are, are they getting a bit thin? We're shipping so much stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm starting to. It's just, again, from a macro level, I did something on CNN the other day about artillery rounds, and we've promised them over uh, a million of artillery rounds, and they're about halfway through that. They've used about 500,000. We only really manufacture about maybe 40 or 50,000 rounds a month right now, and it's, we seem to be shipping most of them overseas. I, I got a note from a classmate who's in this business. He says it's even worse than that. So without getting you know, classified information, he, he says that, that uh, we really don't have the, the production capacity to keep up for the level of artillery war that um, is currently taking place. And it's not just the rounds. It's the fuses. It's the explosive. You know, th- these are not simple devices. There's multiple components to go with them. So you add all those things together. So sure, I would be concerned. And unless the rest of the world decides to more mobilize, which means increasing their industrial capability, uh, Ukraine's going to run out of artillery rounds in probably the next six to eight months. But what about the Russians? I mean, we are the United States, and, uh, you know, with the yeah. military capabilities we have, they got to be struggling to keep up. Yeah, but Russia, though, you know, in their DNA, they started making artillery rounds, I don't know, maybe... 1945, and they've been manufacturing them ever since. I mean, they're just bringing them more out of the Ural Mountains. Now, again, there's, you, you, you know, they just have much more capacity, and they've been doing it for a lot longer. They've, they've stored up a lot more stocks, let's say, and especially if they flip the switch about mobilization. You know, if you go to Russia, there's, uh, I've talked to folks that, that, that have been there, they say that these, there's ammunition factories everywhere, and they just, you know, seem to turn them on and turn them off uh, when they want to. But, but, but the rest you know, the U.S. is slow to start. Once we crank up the machine, we'll be okay, but we still have got to crank up the machine, and we really haven't even started cranking up the machine. 
Mike, I want to make sure I understand a point you made briefly earlier. You talked about how 200 tanks would just be 200 more targets for the Russians. Is that because you feel like the Ukrainians can't furnish the other elements of a coordinated force to to uh, to maximize the efficacy of the tanks? Right. I don't think they're going to still be able to put together the close air support, um, the artillery fires uh, as well. You know, they've got drones, they've got other capability, they're bringing Bradley's to bear. The Leopard 2s aren't that survivable uh, as compared to the M1 tanks. The, you know, the M1 tank, again, is the best on the battlefield. It's like a pillbox, completely survivable. Um, but the Russians, are, you've got to fight as a combined arms. You fire and maneuver in a certain way, and to get the effect of that, again, that shock effect, you have to act in a certain manner, train in a certain way, and you just can't do that by just adding you know, people to the tanks and having, do, having done that. The Russians now will bring brigade-sized elements, larger elements, let's say 2,500, 5,000 or so soldiers with their tanks. They have tanks, too. You know, they have, they have tank-killing equipment as well. They bring that to the battlefield. Um, they're going to have an advantage because they have used it longer, and um, you know, they're going to have trained as a unit. How about the story that came out yesterday that the U.S. is encouraging Ukraines to give up on the east and focus on the south in their areas of the east you know some of those towns and areas we've talked about before where ukraine has vowed to fight to the last man but we're saying that's not the best expenditure of of people and equipment is what do you think of that yeah you know, we've got to get something in ukraine's mind to say that their strategic objectives are just not in line with their you know ways and means to accomplish it and part of that is this 800 kilometer front that they currently have and they can't defend all across it. They've given up Solidar now at this point. There's no soldiers there. There's no, there's no strategic advantage at that place anyway, other than the Russians saying that they could claim victory there. But um, in the south, where they could threaten Crimea, again, if I'm the military guy in Ukraine, I'm telling the, the Ukraine military, they've got to figure out a way to divide and conquer those Russian units in the south, get twenty or 30,000 Russians to surrender, and then actually threaten to move on Crimea. That's what get Russia's attention. But, uh, but the, the stark reality is likely that Ukraine does give up real estate. It could give up most of that, those areas in the east um, that uh, Russia has claimed as annexed now at this point. And that, that's going to be a hard pill for everyone to swallow, the world to swallow. But, but that's the likely scenario of this, given the fact that Russia currently occupies it. Mike, as Robert E. Lee could tell you, you if you have a smaller force, you can't just stand there trading casualties with your bigger right. foe. Um, how do you see the, the whole question of attrition going right now? Well, so Ukraine's got to really be smarter than Russia. Russia's willing to throw its soldiers into the line and lose you know, in excess of 100,000 troops right now within a year. It's just unthinkable from... You know, in our perspective, we wouldn't do something like that, um, but, but they still don't have the same numbers to do that. And you were introducing, again, more of these combat systems to the battlefield. They're going to gain some confidence with them, but they're still going to suffer a high amount of casualties. And so they have got to be very careful. Russia has more. Like wars of attrition are won by countries with more industrial capacity and higher populations. There's no reversing that in history. That's gone on for the last thousand years. Um, the, all we can do is, you know, hold it off. Some people think that we're just kind of managing this, the slow destruction of Ukraine. But like for, assuredly, what those areas in the Donbass region are just flattened. They're they're completely wrecked. There's there's no you know industrial capacity ever coming out of them for the next twenty years or so. Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, always enlightening. Thanks so much for the time. Great guys, thanks for having me. Well, that last mm-hmm. little piece was uh, powerful. Wars of yeah. attrition are won by the, the bigger, more powerful country, always. 
Right. Yeah. I, I, I would. My caveat would be that Ukraine has the industrial might of the Western world on its side. Uh, it does not have the human capital of the Western world, you know, specifically soldiers that can get killed and you're still OK. Right. The grim, grim human capital question. Yeah, obviously, yeah, it's a different situation. If you if you're backed by the United States, you're in a in a completely different situation. Um, and then that part earlier, talk about a nugget that was left out of this story over the last week. Whether we gave the tanks or not, they aren't going to be there for a year and a half. That seems like it ought to be in the uh, the first sentence of this story. Yeah. I think the uh, the Abrams tanks are are an overstated part of the story. They just exist to give uh, Germany diplomatic cover. Well, it's almost got to be the case if it's going to be a year and a half before they get there. Yeah, yeah. Did did did, did everybody doing this story fail to pick up on that piece of information? Because the whole the Russians have a launching an offensive in the spring. Okay, fine, but the, our tanks aren't going to be there for a year and a half. Well, it reminds me of, you know, like the smartest thing Rush Limbaugh ever said was naming the uh, the media the drive-by media. All right, uh, give me a paragraph on what these Abram tanks can do. We're going to give them finally, and then we'll move on to Mike Pence has got a couple of documents in his study. You know, they drive by. Right. Yeah, because that seems like a pretty important piece of the story. I would say, yeah, certainly to the Ukrainians. Well, and to the Russians it is. Yeah. Uh, you can always comment on stories. Uh, text line is 415-295-KFTC. Much on the way. Armstrong and Getty. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, people are talking about this on Saturday at a resort in Dubai. Beyonce performed her first full concert in four years and was reportedly paid $24 million for the hour-long show. Wow. $24 million for a one-hour performance. Even Aaron Judge is like, damn, that is a lot of money. That is something. So many of our biggest woke stars play concerts for super rich autocrats, 
don't believe in freedom of anything, anywhere, ain't LGBT friendly, all none of that stuff. Oh, sure. Of course not. But yeah. they'll go play their private party for a, for a big check. Loathsome torturers. Yeah, so, sure. Of course. So, so if a Republican who would be way, 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 way to the left of any of these Dubai gazillionaires uses your song in an ad, you get your lawyers on them right away because I'm not going to have my music used to pump up that moderate Republican from Indiana. You know, that all the time. But they'll play a concert for these uh, people in their country as long as nobody knows about it for a big giant check. That's so yeah. freaking phony. Yeah, yeah. By the way, if Kim Jong-un is listening, uh, Dead Flowers are willing to play, play uh, North Korea for, uh, let's say, I don't know, $5 million plus expenses. I don't know these particular people, so I shouldn't say anything too ha- harsh. Or I'll end up on the wrong end of a bone saw. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, some of the concerts have been played for various Saudi princes and stuff in the past. These people do loathsome things in their in their in their uh, real life world. Oh, yeah. And you're playing a concert for them while you, you spout crap at the Grammys? Are you kidding me? They couldn't be rapier, for instance. All right. Well, that's serious. So, uh, anyway. Well, how many million dollars for an hour? It was 24. Oh, my God. That's your entire career. You don't even never need to do anything before or after that. Jeez. Well, even if her cut, personally, is a fifth of that. After paying the crew and the musicians and the backup dancers Camel and the travel driver. expenses, the ca- needless to say, uh, even if her cut is, you know, 20% of that, that's spectacular money. Oh, I'd say. Yeah. Well, and I'm yeah. sure she flew there in the nicest private jet that exists and was picked up by a Bentley and taken to the nicest hotel you've ever seen. So, I mean, you know, the, the process wouldn't be bad either. No, indeed. Are you kidding me? Yeah, with probably a stop in the Seychelles and Paris and whatever on the way there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that goes. I That's don't live that life. Really interesting. Uh, speaking of really interesting, man, we got a lot of great emails, and we haven't had much of a chance to uh, slip them in. But here's a little bonus mailbag for you. Um, uh, Jack has lost his ability to taste sweet. Correct. Um, and uh, which and is it's, causing it's me to with eat, your life. It's causing me to eat more sweets, which is not what I thought would have happened, but it is. Yeah, you're chasing it. Obviously, yeah. your brain has a need for it. Your need for berries to balance all that uh, impala you ate as a caveman, whatever. Uh, but we, man, we got a lot of notes from people who'd had uh, brain injuries or diseases or or that sort of thing. Uh, this one from Russ in Portland, who mentions his sweet bride, unfortunately, had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and has lost her ability to taste anything sweet. It's neurological, clearly. Um, it's quite unfortunate because she loves to cook and bake. But now I have to taste the sweet things she makes to make sure they're good before she gives them out. Bonus for me. So here's how she copes. Maybe this can help you. She can still taste sour. So instead of a cake for her birthday, she gets a lemon cream pie because it's sour and she can taste it. Mm. She can also taste spicy. So she does the Sour Patch candies and Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Also spicy teriyaki jerky and chips. She can still taste salty. Once in a while, she'll take a bite of my donut to see if she can taste it. But alas, as of yet, not so. Nope, like eating a piece of bread. Lots of cayenne pepper, red pepper, sriracha. uh, Also honey. For some reason, she can still taste honey. Also peanut butter. So uh, do a taste test for yourself. Line up a few spicy things, sour things, salty, sweet uh, peanut butter M&Ms, etc., 
Maybe try the uh, honey thing. See what you can taste and enjoy those rather than dwelling on what you can't. Well, I'm not missing out on the enjoyment. I don't care about food enough. But the the craving for sweets is causing me to eat way too many donuts. There's no doubt about that. I don't know how I stopped that. I'm going to be like uh, that guy in that movie, The Whale. The Whale. And Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a summer night in Paris... American artist Lee Krasner is drifting off to sleep when the phone rings. On the line, news that her husband, Jackson, is dead. Jackson, as in the painter Jackson Pollock. He might, to this day, be the most mythologized figure in American art. But how much of the story that we've been told about him is just that, a myth? On Death of an Artist, season two, Krasner and Pollock, the story about how the art world changed forever, and the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting. Just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. South Carolina woman recently used winnings from a scratch-off lottery ticket to purchase a Powerball ticket and won $150,000 in what financial experts are calling still a smarter investment strategy than crypto. <laughs> um, I, uh, leading into this story we're about to do, I, am, I think it would be so good for America if we had a Gavin Newsom versus Ron DeSantis presidential race i'm not sure they're the two best choices for president i mean you know there's a lot of people out there i've never heard of that might be better um uh candidates but anyway just in terms of framing so many arguments that we need to have over like geez like a two-year period where it'd really be dug into by all kinds of different news organizations stuff like that whether you're talking about the way you handled covid or you know, the way you handle crime or schools or so many different things. Yeah. As opposed to Biden, Trump, man, it's just going to be about the personalities. He's crazy. January 6th, he's old, Hunter Biden. And we won't get into any of the, you know, political philosophy stuff that we really ought to discuss as a nation. You know, I think we would get into that stuff in spite of the very best efforts of the news media to turn it into don't say gay versus friendly to immigrants and one-sided fact checks that never seem to go the other way, but uh, 
It would be useful. Oh, before we move on, speaking of that lottery joke, uh, I logged some quality time last night. I was going to watch the Everything All the Time Everywhere Upside Down. Nominated movie. for more Oscars than any other picture. Right. Uh, but I decided it was a little too late in the evening, and it would have cost me 20 bucks. which in reflection, I think I'll go ahead and pay the 20 bucks because it sounds interesting. But I'm going to try to watch that this week and, I would, and bring I, you my review. I would love to hear what you think of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but one of the movies that I watched all sorts of trailers, and the New York Times had something really interesting. They had the directors of a bunch of the nominated movies take you through a scene and explain how they made the scene and why it was significant and stuff like that. If you're into the making of uh, motion pictures, it's was, it was pretty cool. But one of the nominated movies, and I can't remember, I think it's a woman's name is the name of the movie. Uh, it's about a half-wit who wins almost $200,000 in the lottery. And, uh, and and goes wild and ruins her life and then tries to get her life back. But uh, straight out of what it, you're always talking about, mm-hmm. you know, how it, it, it's often halfwits who win these things and, and they think their ticket is punched and they just screw it up and squander it and alienate everybody. And, and it's that story. I would watch that movie. Yeah, it actually looked kind of compelling. In a but you don't know the name of it. No, <laughs> halfwits living and loving. And coming back from adversity. <laughs> Is it the Francis McDormand movie? No. No. I okay. don't think so. This yeah, is, I don't know. This is the worst conversation about movies that you've ever heard. No, it's, it's one of the freaking movies. It's got a chick's name as the title, and it's about a half-wit winning the lottery. So one anyway. of the freaking movies. <laughs> well, what, what else do you need to know? <clears throat> anyway, where were we? Ah, yes, that's right. Uh, Gavin Gruesome versus Ron DeSantis, uh, which I think is a likely uh, face-off in the presidential race, and I yearn for it because I want to see Gavin's ass kicked. He's so dishonest, but... You know, he's uh, realized because he's actually in person, he's not a terrible guy. Not at all. Um, But he's realized, okay, here's how you get elected in California. You pander and you just pretend that there's nothing redeeming and good about anybody to the right of, I don't know, Eric Swalwell. But anyway, uh, people are voting with their feet in a way that America hasn't seen for a very, very long time, if ever. Uh, in terms of it would seem politics, and if there's a flaw in my argument, Jack, please hit me with it. But here are your top five outflow states. Touched on this briefly a while ago. Uh, number one, I'm the hell out of here state, California, with a net loss of 343,000 Americans. What the hell from, is going on? From mid-21 uh, to mid-22. Yeah, well, uh, whenever that first year was, last year or the year before, it was the first time in California history that they had gone backwards in population. So, yeah, the numbers are out. The most recent numbers, 343,000. The other top outflow losers. I, I find it difficult to justify why you would stay in California. Pretty much the only argument you can make, I can make, because, I mean, you know, the pretty much the only argument I can make for my family is, you know, this is where we are and the friends and the kids and all that sort of stuff. But you can't make any you can't make any pencil and paper argument. Oh, um, perhaps that, hey, I got a pretty lucrative career going here and I can't pick it up and move it. I mean, that's a perfectly legit thing to say. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have a successful auto auto body shop, you know, in wherever. 
greater L.A., you can't just pick that up and move it to Nashville. But <clears throat> but if it's something you can, you are going to save slash make so much more money. And unless you actually, as is legendary and absolutely true, you can ski in the morning, play a round of golf as soon as you get home, and then go to beach for the sunset, because that's the wonders of California. Unless you actually do that or and, something and, close and to I it. And I don't know those people. <clears throat> no. Well, anyway, so uh, again, this is not about bad-mouthing California, because the, the state itself and a lot of the people are fantastic, but the government sucks. Anyway, so California is the number one outflow state, followed by deep blue New York, deep blue Illinois, deep blue New Jersey, and deep blue Massachusetts. I don't know the tax situation of all those states, but uh, high. Se- several of them are very, very high. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all quite high. Um, and here are your top five net inflow states. Florida is number one now. Texas is number two. North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. I could have told you most of those states just based on friends I know who no longer live here, (laughs) who've moved. I have so many friends that have moved to Texas or Tennessee. I can name, I'm looking at the list, Texas, uh, I have, well, if you include listeners who've dropped us notes, which is kind of unfair, easily, there are half a dozen for each one of these states, but personal friends and acquaintances, uh, yes, yes, yes. Florida. Is Idaho on that list? Idaho is not on the list, Michael. I suspect it's fairly, it's probably in your second five or second ten. Uh, likewise, Nevada, Arizona. I know people who picked up their families, had lived in California for many, many years, and have gone to Texas, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina. I don't know that I know anybody who went to Florida. I remember standing at the park. I told this story a couple years ago. Standing at the park with a bunch of families, and it was at the end of the school year, and two of the moms standing with the five of us were moving to Texas. And I thought, what are the odds of that? Well, actually pretty high in the current situation of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? So because my hallmark is honesty, let's go through the states. Florida is a reddish-purple state. You could conceivably be a liberal and you'd move you could move to a liberal part of Florida, but it is increasingly red and no, getting redder. And no state tax, which is why of course so that's many, incredibly repetitive and redundant. Sorry. No state tax, which is why so many athletes live there, is that correct? No state income tax, yeah. 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 Cause it's worth making the point. They get you one way or the other. Unless you live in a really low services state, it's gonna be property taxes or sales taxes or vehicle registration. They get you one way or another, which is not to say all state tax burdens are the same. They're definitely high tax states and low tax states. But just if you are considering moving, be sure to look into multiple things. But anyway, uh, so uh, Texas is absolutely a deep red state, although maybe if you're moving from the San Francisco Bay Area to Austin, it's not for reasons of politics or regulations or taxes or or uh, just, you know, political climate in general. But in the main, you cannot dispute the fact that you have People flowing from blue states to red states. And, and, you know, as I look at that list of red, uh, blue states, California has terrible problems. Socio-political economic problems. Crime, 
drug addiction, homelessness, bums and junkies. Just it's unbelievably bad. Three quarters of the homeless people in America live in California. The governor has announced free health care for illegals. Yeah. The governor has announced we'll pay for the abortion of any, anybody anywhere in the United States and fly them to the state. How would you stay and pay for that? Illinois has terrible crime, and it is soon to skyrocket as they've passed some new progressive measures. They're also winning the race toward bankruptcy, the first state to be bankrupt. Uh, New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts, your classic super high tax uh, northeastern states, very liberal with exploding crime rates. And that's a factor. You know, we what we haven't gotten to yet, and I think it's important to at some point anyway, is that juvenile crime is skyrocketing. And, you know, maybe you got to tune out or whatever. We'll talk about it later. But to me, it's so freaking obvious what's going on. This philosophy that lower level crimes, which include like smashing your face and taking your your wallet or your watch or your wife and taking her purse. Those are low level crimes in a lot of blue cities. Now, there are no repercussions. What do young people do? Including myself as a youngster and you, too, my friends. You tested limits. If you could get away with A, you would try B. And if B had no repercussions, you would try C. Criminals of all ages do that all the time. Any cop, any prosecutor will tell you that. If they they boost five cars and never pay a price, they're going to try a burglary. And you have that with kids right now, mostly in blue states that have decriminalized crime. And you wonder why people are fleeing from the, the blue states to the red states. It's self-evident. Between expense and sociological decay, that's it. It's pretty interesting. I don't think that trend is going to reverse anytime soon either, do you? It's, uh, it's hard to imagine what would cause it unless there are going to be some major policy changes. That trend is going to continue for a while. Yeah, it it almost has to. That's just the nature of things. These trends continue until they're utterly unlivable, and people start to say, hey, hey, we need a change. And then, you know, that trend goes for about 20 years. Then there's very little crime, as we've discussed before, and people say, why are we so hard on crime? I don't know if these stats are available, but what's the socioeconomic or what's the tax base ramifications of the 300,000 people moving out of California? I got to believe a lot of those people were on the upper end of paying taxes. That's a lot of tax money leaving the state. That will get people's attention. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, final thought from the folks at the California Globe is, I defy another state to produce Yosemite National Park, the Golden Gate Bridge, Giant Redwoods, Lake Tahoe, Big Sur, Santa Monica beaches. The list of our wonders is long if you can afford to enjoy them. But our unmatched beauty is apparently overwhelmed by policy failures of colossal dimension. People are voting with their feet and moving. Yeah, well, I would like you to show me where else in the country you can go down the street of any of the major cities, including the nicest shopping areas of these cities, and it's bum after bum after tent after human poop after needle after somebody asking you for money in a threatening way. Who freaking cares about Yosemite when you got that to deal with every single day of your life? That's why people are fleeing. Fecal matter. The good news is you can't move Yosemite into your state, but you can change your policy to deal with some of that other stuff on the negative end. Well, and you can go to Yosemite about as often as you probably will from California, from Texas, too. It's a little longer flight. Decent point. Uh, Much on the way. Stay with us. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We found the worst criminal in the world. Uh, Brian Walsh, I've been following this story. These are the real Google searches of Mr. Brian Walsh, whose wife is missing. How long before a body starts to smell? He Googled 10 ways to dispose of a body if you really need to. We found out some other people who have Google searches. Uh, Would you like to see some of those? Because, you know, a lot of people don't get this about Google searches. Like Gavin Newsom uh, Googled statistically how many 80-year-old presidents make it through their first term. Uh, Kanye Googled Christian dentists in my area. Matt Gates, Chuck E. Cheese is near me. Uh, Meghan Markle Googled, is the race card an actual card? Johnny Depp Googled, do courts check what's in your thermos? (laughs) Um, Yeah, kind of a grim setup, but... uh... Good, uh, <laughs> Chucky Jesus near me. Great Scott. Good platform. For Unfair. Sure. Speaking of Googling, I saw that the United States is suing Google, one of the biggest companies in the entire world. What's that all about? Well, off the top of my head, Jack, uh, the Justice Department said Google had corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by engaging in a systematic campaign to seize control of the wide swath of high-tech tools used by publishers, advertisers, and brokers to facilitate digital advertising. But again, that's just off the top of my head. So, I hate when you Google something and like the first nine results are all clearly ads. But they're a private company, so they get to do that if they want. Same as the way Amazon does it. You Google something on Amazon, and it gives you something similar to the product you wanted, but not really. But this one, they paid us to put it there. So, at least it says promoted. Yeah, if you if you notice that, 
True. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But in short, the entire apparatus for online advertising is controlled by Google, or so claims the government, or so much of it that they're able to. Uh, what's the technical, the legal term? Dick with anybody who tries to compete with them. That can't be the legal term. I believe um, it is. Uh, so what what have you heard pundits, uh, lawyers say? Is this something the United States is likely to win? Is Google going to have to change their practices? Are they in trouble or what? You know, honestly, I haven't heard anybody persuasive uh, go that far. Uh, yeah, just don't know. Google and Amazon seem like monopolies to me just because they're so giant. But just being giant doesn't make you a monopoly. I, I do believe, based on what I've heard, that the government has a pretty good case. If you're going to engage in any sort of online advertising, you're going to be going through Google in one way or another. Which so, you can't say that about any other entity in any other realm of advertising. Bill Maher went a very serious story, so maybe this is a good place to throw this in. It's it's not, you know, it's gruesome, but it's interesting. Did you hear about that woman that got sucked into the jet engine? Did you hear oh, that no, story? I saw the headline. Oh, yeah. boy. She's an airport worker sucked into one of your big engines on a giant jet on the tarmac. She, you know, she's okay. doing her job. She's walking by with a yellow cone. They hear a bang, and she's gone. And uh, cause of death has not been announced. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, I'm assuming it was painless, I would assume. But uh, the federal investigation has turned out she had been warned multiple times not to get so dang close to the engines. Co-workers had said, hey, don't walk that close. Uh, One of the pilots had even opened the window and said, hey, the engines are still on. Don't get so close. Numerous times. And uh, and for whatever reason. Was the plane uh, Darwin Airlines? Yeah, I hear where you're going there. It's terrible. Obviously, she's well. It's be terrible for anybody, but she's a mother of three, and you know, it's just I mean, GoFundMe has been set up to. But yeah, so this particular plane was going to have to leave its engines on longer than usual. They even had a quickie safety meeting before the plane landed with everybody, just letting you know the engines are going to run longer than normal. So until you get the OK sign, don't go close to the plane. Everybody got it. Little everybody in agreement. Okay, and she still walked in front of the engine and got sucked into it. And so Sally Slacker walked right next to the engine, and she's been warned repeatedly not to do it, and she got sucked into it. You know, I'm not happy about it. I feel bad for the kids. I hope they don't have her same dopey gene. Wow. What are you going to do? What's humanity going to do, not have airplanes? Some tough talk. Well, come on. Gee, money. Harry, for the fifth time, don't lean into the wood chipper. How do you think that's going to end? Yeah, uh, we do four hours of this show. Not all of them as heartless as what Joe's segment was, but uh, four hours of the show. And if you miss an hour, you can get the podcast. Armstrong and Getty on demand is what it's. You about. mess with the bulls, you get the horns, right? Right. You mess with the wood chipper, you're over there. Well, most of you. You. Yeah. Wake up and smell the wood chipper. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.